Welcome to part two of episode number 46 of the Fiduciary You podcast, where I continue my conversation with Liz Davidson, founder and CEO of Financial Finesse. We uh, continue to talk about uh, her book, Money Strong, Your Guide to a Life Free of Financial Worries, and uh, a lot of other things as it relates to uh, financial wellness and how to make employees less stressed and take more control of their financial future. I hope you enjoyed the episode. What do you see? You know, it's interesting just having worked with companies for a long time and, um, you know, companies offer lots of benefits to employees. Um, but a lot of times employees don't take advantage of like the full spectrum of benefits and, and, um, you know, I'll never forget, I, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I had a, a client years ago, big engineering firm, a couple of thousand people. And um, one of the things they they did that they had done forever, and it was kind of like the, the new leadership had taken over and they continued it, was at Thanksgiving, they bought a turkey for every employee. And they were spending like 60 grand a year on turkeys. Okay. And, but the, the COO was like, I don't know if my employees value getting a turkey. If, if they don't, like, I don't want to spend six dollars. I can deploy that money in something else that they're going to value. So there is this, like, I think a lot of times this kind of disconnect of both what benefits do we need to offer, but then, like, are the people we have, like, taking advantage? Because if they're not, if they don't know there's the benefit or they don't understand how to use it or they're not taking advantage of it, then we have a disconnect and we're not getting a return on the investment in that benefit that we should be. What do you find, just generally speaking, do most employees understand their full spectrum of benefits and taking advantage of it? Absolutely not. Um, you know, most large companies have between, you know, 50 and 100 and some have more than 100 benefits when you look at you know, all the core, you know, retirement, health, you know, core benefits to voluntary, to work life. I mean, it's, you know, to specialized benefits like fertility benefits. I mean, there's so many turkeys. <laughs> that's the first I've heard of that, but that's a legitimate employee benefit, right? So um, when you look at that, I mean, most employees can probably name five, maybe 10 benefits their company has. And yet, when you look at how employees build wealth, it's maximizing their comp and maximizing their benefits. Mm. And they are, most employees are leaving a huge amount of money on the table by not being aware of benefits, therefore not using them. In some cases, there are free benefits like tuition assistance that they may not even know exist and they be, may be actually paying to go to school when they don't have to. I mean, these things happen all the time and can add up to tens of thousands of dollars a year for, per employee. Um, in some cases over a lifetime, you know, can, can be a million dollars a year plus if you think of not taking advantage of the retirement match or, you know, picking the wrong health care plan, you know, those kind of things. So a lot of what we do as a financial coaching provider is integrating the benefits into our entire ecosystem, our digital experience, our webcast, and our financial coaching delivered through financial coaches because awareness is part of it, but then there's 
is this based on the challenges or goals you have? What are the right benefits to connect you to? And how do you maximize them? It's not enough to just know it's there. How do you use this benefit? What's the right amount to, um, of money to put into it? What are the right choices to make about it? Because there's so much complexity to all this stuff. And a lot of employers just keep adding. So you just keep adding. You're already kind of confusing people and you have all these benefits on your internet and it's like, you know, how do I even begin to make a choice? It's that, remember when our 401k lineups had hundreds of funds and we thought that was good yeah. because we were giving people more options. Well, what happened? Inertia, para, you know, people got paralyzed. It's like, I, I, I can't figure this out. Right. Um, so my biggest advice to employers is actually think about doing the opposite and narrowing down to your point, what do my employees really, really care about? But secondarily, make sure you are effectively communicating this. And the best way to do that is finding a personalized way, you know, ideally working with a firm that can help your employees make these decisions about benefits so that they really realize the full value. It's not a benefit if I don't even know it exists. Right. Yeah, the, 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 there's no perceived there's no perceived value. And a lot of benefits is, you know, for companies, it's about merchandising, right? It's, it's, you know, like it, that. It, you have to be able to figure out how to merchandise in a way that you get that alignment, that it's not just, you know, because I, I, I think you get that a lot of times. And this is where I think advisors can kind of step in, in some ways is, you know, um, not just thinking about, the retirement benefit, you know, it's, 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 is really, and, and I think this is probably part of what your kind of your pitch over the years was, is, is, you know, in some ways wellness can be the benefit that makes all your other benefits work. <laughs> like, right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in that process gets employees to look at their employers in a totally different light. Because if my if I see my employer as a partner in my financial security, and retirement's obviously a big part of that, but there's health, there's wellness. Again, there's those benefits that might happen at different points in time connected to life events, my EAP that might be able to help me through a divorce, through legal counseling and support, you know, my maternity benefits down to lactation stations available at work, all of that, right? Freezing my eggs, all of these things. I personally would not be using that benefit. Benefits <laughs> are relevant to all people is another thing. But but right. but if I really see, wow, over the course of you know the time I've worked with this employer, they have helped me achieve all these different goals and get through all these different life events. That is a completely different relationship than if I just feel like I'm collecting a paycheck and I have to go during open enrollment and make some decisions that I don't really know how to make, but there's a deadline, so I got to do it. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, I mean, it's interesting. You see this, I used to see this with, with employees all the time is, you know, they, they go someplace, they take a new job to make $10,000 a year more, but they'd be leaving. Maybe they, they'd be leaving $20,000 a year in benefits because all they thought about was 
the cash compensation. They didn't understand what, how to compare like what I have. And that, that's like helping employers really to be an employer of choice is, and, and I think we talked about it, like every company is looking to hire great talent. Even yep. if companies are downsizing or going through rifts, like I guarantee yep. if they find an A player, they made it just, you know, Google just laid off thousands of employees. Guarantee you if they find what they feel like is an A player, that person's getting a job, right? Yep. Because it's really about kind of finding that, that talent. And, you know, how do you make people more, you know, more productive? And one of the things you, you talked about before we, we started chatting and then even, even through it is this idea of um, what I would consider uh, uh, financial stress is like acute in a lot of ways. Like if I break my arm, like I have like an acute issue, like I got to get yes. the, the emergency room, yes. get, yes. you know, whereas, and, and I'm, I don't really know what maybe, a, um, uh, so high financial stress is acute. Where like maybe low financial well-being, the more emotional, is more like chronic. Like you may not have acute issues, but you may have more chronic issues. I love where you're going with this. That's yeah. a wonderful analogy. If I and 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 so thinking about like it's it's you got to help people address the acute. When somebody has a broken arm, it's like I I can't you know I. I can't wait. Where is going to be writing a book <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that, that's exactly yeah, you're not right. going to. Yes. Yes. And, and how do you see the, the interplay of um, addressing and, and maybe that's that mass personalized, like you're going to have your pop part of your population is going to be under kind of acute financial stress. You may be able to get, them out of like the ICU, but now they need to go into rehab, you know, yep. um, and that rehab is more kind of long-term and more chronic. Like how do we save their life in ICU? And then how do we help them get back to a good semblance of living? How do you guys, how do you tackle those issues? Cause they're two different problems, even though they're related. No, and I love how you I, I love how you put that acute versus chronic because you're absolutely right. Um, really quickly on the chronic, a lot of people that are under chronic stress, and I'm going to use an analogy for this in a minute, don't even realize it, chronic financial stress, because it is how they live their life. And it's but it doesn't mean they're not stressed. And it doesn't mean that cortisol that is being released isn't damaging their body and having an effect on their mental or physical health. It's just this load they carry and they don't know anything different. Mm -hmm. I went in um, to my ENT uh, late last fall and discovered I had chronic sinusitis and I was at risk for getting meningitis and he scheduled an emergency sinus surgery, which is pretty mm -hmm. unheard of. But I didn't I was just dealing with headaches, low energy, and just going, okay, this is getting old. Like, this, this is, is, this is just, yeah. you know, and I'm going to just drink more coffee. And I'm going to, I had no idea how sick I was because it was my reality. And that's how many people are living financially. On the acute side, if there is a blessing to the acute, it is that when you are under severe financial stress and you're in a crisis or just struggling mightily to just keep your head above the water, 
you feel that and you know you need help, those people will reach out mm-hmm. and they're ready. And they're ready not only to fix their problem, but they're ready to never, ever be in this situation again. Mm-hmm. So those are a lot of our most transformed customer, you know, cl- uh, users are those people where they call, you know, you help them resolve their situation. I mean, sometimes that's talking to their landlord. It's buying them a little more time. It's coming up with ways to tap into cash immediately. It might be, you know, employers have these compassion funds. So it might be getting a grant from an employer or other social services, but it's helping them get to a place where they're stable, as you mentioned, then helping them build an emergency savings by looking at what you know, they can do to either raise money, reduce expenses, et cetera, take a better advantage of benefits is a part of that. And then they want to start progressing towards their goals because all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute. Okay, I can breathe because I have this emergency savings. Like they feel different. I feel different right now talking to you because I had this sinus surgery. I'm like, this is how it's supposed to be. Right. I'm supposed to be able to take in air without needing to have effort every 15 minutes. Like, Oh, this is amazing. It feels my whole, my whole body feels different. My whole energy level feels different. And that's what happens. And then they never ever want to go back. So sometimes that acute is in retrospect, one of the best things that can happen to you. It never feels that way during the time. Um, with the chronic, that's a bit harder because again, you don't know you have it, but that's where things like ongoing education, that's where the start framework and, and getting people to understand that they can have the life that when they really think about it, they want to have, it's just going to be, you know, a process. And just because they're not suffering right now, doesn't mean they can't get themselves and their families in a better position. Or they might be suffering and they just don't know, right? That's the thing about chronic pain becomes kind of the new normal. So it becomes in some ways like imperceptible. Like you said, you're like, oh, this is just, it's just like how I'm supposed to feel. And it wasn't, you know, until. Yeah. It's like, no, actually, like there's a reason you feel the way you feel. And it's not like we need to fix that. Um, exactly. You yeah. don't need to. You don't need to live this way that you're so used to living. Um, and you know, I think you can get people. I mean, I'm very thankful. I went to my ENT in time, and I didn't end up with meningitis, right? And you can get people. I think who might be at the precipice of a potential financial crisis um, to realize. Wait a minute. This is not. This is not how I need to live. I can have a completely different future, Um, you know, but you have to make sure that you're bringing this to them and you're personalizing it around them. So they're connecting it directly to how it can improve their life. Well, and then that's ultimately, and, and, you know, I think the, the, um, you know, most people's financial issues are not intellectual. They're behavioral. Correct. And, you know, in life, it's funny. Like, really bad decisions typically are, like, easy not to make really bad decisions. Like, you see something really, really bad. 
usually, you know, a great decision is easy to, to, you know, I think choose a really, really bad decision for most people is easy to like avoid. Yes. But most of the decisions we make fall kind of within the spectrum. And it's all about trade-off management. And, and it's funny, one of the things you said, right, this life that you want to live, like for most people, I have a mentor for years. He said, you have to want what your wants lead to. Like, yes, lose 30 pounds. Like that's a noble goal and that's good. But I can't just want to lose 30 pounds. You don't want to be healthy. I want to be healthy and I have to want to do the things that enable me to do. Like I have to learn to love getting up at five 30 in the morning and going to the gym or saying no to that, you know, piece of cake that I want, or, um, you have to want what your wants ultimately lead you to. Have to commit to the struggle, right? Accept and commit to the struggle that it's going to take, because if you don't want the struggle, you're not going to get there. You're not going to do it because you're going to have to be willing. And, and, and sometimes that means, you know, and, and I like your framework and, and I'll be interested to read kind of the book, but, but, you know, um, I think systems reduce stress for people, right? People yes. and I did a survey in 2019 when I had my firm, we surveyed 2000, almost 2000 participants completed a 75 question questionnaire at an 89% completion rate, which is kind of. Wow. Wow. But what was interesting was that, um, high levels of stress, as you would imagine, but only 24% of people had a written financial plan. And I surmise that that was actually a key driver. Like we try to do all this comprehensive <laughs> people. Like most people don't have super complex scenarios that need all of this. What they really need is like an actual actionable plan. Like I really do believe that people feel out of control and stressed when they don't have systems and structures in place and frameworks, as you mentioned with your book, to kind of navigate and filter through the decisions I have to make and understanding the trade-offs. Um, how, how important do you feel like systems and structures are to helping people not just want the right things, but do the things that lead to the outcomes they want? I think very, and I think you make a very good point. And I, I saw this on LinkedIn yesterday. So, and I don't remember who it's sourced to and, you know, so grain of salt, but I think the the larger point holds that some it, we are bombarded with something like ten thousand possible decisions, like in an hour of time, and that includes like what we decide to say or do or eat or not eat or whatever, right? But our brain can make like twenty two <laughs> something crazy like that, right? And, and so we have tremendous decision fatigue, tremendous decision fatigue, because we have so many choices. You know, we have some unlimited choices of what we could do with our time, with our money, you know, et cetera. So having a framework that kind of takes away the noise and it's like, start here, go here, you know, like step by step. I mean, it, it is such a good way to reduce that stress and the decision fatigue and just have a path to follow instead of trying to create your own path amidst all of this chaos. Um, but I think it also does another thing, which is really, you know, especially the way we articulate in the book, 
outlines what it's going to take and you get to decide, do I want this struggle? And there's a, a book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. <laughs> Mark Mason. Thank you for not saying that because now... <laughs> The FTC, right? Or whatever, uh, you know, regulating your podcast. But, but Mark, I believe it's Mark Mason who wrote that or yeah, I think it's Mark Mason. Um, it's such a powerful book, whatever you think of the title, it's such a powerful book because it forces you to think of, do I want and accept this struggle to get to, or this trade-off to get to this goal? And that's a big part of this framework is we can give you all these tools you decide which ones you're going to take because some may fit seamlessly into your life and you actually enjoy them. Others, you may be like, don't love it, but I can do it and tolerate it and make it a habit. And then there are other things. It's like, you know what? I'm not going to create a financial. I'm not going to adopt any of these financial identities. I don't like any of them. And I just am not going to do that. Okay. You don't have to do it, but you know, at least what you're going to do and what, you're going to either um, take on because you actually think you'll enjoy it or again, tolerate and eventually make a habit, you know, that, that can be integrated into your life. And that's your choice. You know, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that systematic, you know, that's the other thing you talk about, you know, about decision fatigue and those, that kind of sensory overload, and, you know, our brains are not wired for complexity. Our brains are no. wired for simplicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, this, you know, kind of like, you know, there's, there's with like paying off debt, right? There's a couple of different methods. One of them is like the debt snowball, which yeah. kind of counterintuitive. It's not the best financial approach, right? The, the idea is that you, I think you pay off your smallest debt first, regardless of the, the interest rate. rate. Yep. Right? So, so mathematically, you should pay off like, you know, probably well, your interest your, rate. Yeah. But, but behaviorally, it may work for you. Behaviorally, it may work because you start to then build momentum. Like, and, 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 you know, I've seen this in kind of my own life of like, I want to lose 30 pounds and I want to do that in, you know, let's say, uh, you know, I want to do that in four months. Well, that seems like a really, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to lose 30 pounds? But if you break it down and you're like, okay, I need to lose two pounds a week for, you know, uh, 20 weeks for 20 weeks. Yeah. I guess that's five months then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now that doesn't seem okay. Like, and I've got seven days to kind of do that. So then now how does that inform you know, my decisions about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink or how often I work out or how much sleep I get. It's just a, when you can break it down and now that starts to kind of build momentum, like it's hard to get started, but that snowballs, it starts to flywheel, starts to go and it starts to get bigger and gain momentum. Now that can like rewire in some ways the way, like, instead of like, oh, this is a grind, this is really tough to like, oh, I'm motivated by this now because I'm starting to see the progress. Um, I think that's critical behaviorally. Um, that's like when you tell people like, oh, you got to save a million dollars. Like that sounds really, really hard, but actually if you give it enough time and you work backwards, it's actually achievable to do if you break it down into smaller things and you give it enough time. And you just did something super important there that I don't know if you realize you did. You started off with four months, right? And you said, I want to lose 
30 pounds in four months. Then you did the math because two pounds a week felt reasonable. And it turns out that's five months, right? That's 20 weeks. And that is the process people need to go through. Maybe you could do it in four months and it would be actually a little closer to three pounds. But that extra pound might require a level of exercise or a level of deprivation and change in eating habits that isn't sustainable for you because you're not going to like it and you're going to revert back to old habits, right? Detrimental doing it faster than slower. Yes. Yes. I'm losing a pound a week. It's so painful to go that slow on some levels, but you know, I got my green juice and I'm making small modifications to how much I exercise into what I eat. And they're small incremental, but I can do it and I'm happy with the, the, the changes I'm making. I'm actually feeling better because I'm eating better and I'm okay with the pound a week, you know, because I'm not willing, I'm not willing to do what it takes to get to two. (laughs) I think you said something, I think you said something really important is you could do it faster, but the amount of deprivation that you'd have to go through ultimately isn't sustainable. Like what you're doing is much more sustainable and it's about building you know, financial wellness to me is really about building sustainable, re- resilient habits. Yes. That I can implement. Like people always ask, like, how do you build wealth? And, you know, I'm like, you save money, invest it prudently over a really long period of time. Yes. Like, you, it's got to be sustainable. And we live in this culture where it's like, I want to. You know, I have this acute pain. I want to get everything fixed right now. But in a lot of cases, that actually may be counterintuitive and work against people as opposed to like, it's more about how am I building these sustainable, resilient habits that allow me to just, you know, I read a stat that like 99% of Warren Buffett's wealth has been built after age 50. Why? Because he's... You know, he's obviously had good returns, great returns, but he's done it over a really long period of time. Compounding, right? Yes. yes. And our decisions, you know, that's an interesting, you might put this in your book, I don't know, but like there's actually a compounding effect to our decisions that we make today. Yep. Yep. And getting people to understand that. It's not just about today, tomorrow, next week. The decisions you're making today will have a compound effect over months, years, decades. And not only that, and I love one of the things in your book, you talked about these, the role models, is it actually can have this long-term systemic generational impact. If, if maybe I come from a family and I get NIL money and I'm an athlete and I don't have any good financial role models, well, now if I can start to understand and embody good habits now my kids that aren't even born yet, maybe I start to instill within them and then their kids. And that's how you start to change. Like that's how you change the world. People. It's a ripple effect. That's how something goes viral. I mean, it's yeah. maybe in a more old fashioned framework, but yes. And one thing you said that I thought was so important on this compounding. Another thing I saw on LinkedIn, probably spend too much of my time on LinkedIn, but uh, if you look at stagnation, which is how, far too many of us operate because it's kind of set steady state, right? It's kind of where humans live absent, you know, proactively deciding not to live there. And you're just kind of doing the same thing every day. 
Well, one to the, you know, 306, one, one to the 365th power is still one, right? But if you are doing 1% better every day, right? Every day, just 1% doesn't sound, it sounds so small. It sounds like insignificant. You're 37 times better mm. by the end of the year. Like just that 1.01 to the 365th power, right? It's 37. So that's huge, right? On one hand, you're staying at one, another you're getting to 37. It's a little math geeky kind of yeah. paradigm, but the bottom line is that's just 1% better a day. What if you were able to do 2% better? And that's what the power of these things adds up to. There is a multiplier effect and you just get into this flywheel of positive momentum and then, like you said, the ripple effect you can have on others. And if one person tells, teaches 10 people and those 10 people teach another 10 people, I mean, you know how this works. Like, it's not very long before yeah. you have a movement and right. you literally change the course of a history of a generation um, and or maybe multiple generations. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Liz, it's been awesome having you on the show. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we ran into each other a few weeks ago out in California and really excited about the things that, um, the things that you're doing, um, you know, certainly with your business, but also to kind of give back and, and, uh, to teach and inspire others. So, uh, real quick, where can people go to, to, um, to stay connected with you? Uh, you can go to L Davidson at financialfinesse.com personal email or business email address. Obviously, our website is financialfinesse.com, and there you will find more information about NIL. If that's something you want to bring your alma mater, you know, our certification uh, program for student-athletes, find out more about the book, um, which is also available at this point anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Keep up the great work, and um, always love chatting with you. Thank you for having me. It turns out 40s are better than 20s. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode number 46 of the Fiduciary You podcast with Liz Davidson. If you're a retirement plan advisor that wants to drive growth, scale, efficiency, and repeatability across your practice, and you haven't checked out FiduciaryRx yet, head over to www.fiduciaryworks.com and book a demo. You'll be glad you did. We've launched a tremendous amount of new functionality over the last several months, and the platform is on fire right now. Also, if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Finally, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcast. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to the Fiduciary You Podcast.